Welcome to Mastering Data, where we sit down with inspirational leaders in data and IT to hear their interesting career journeys and lessons learned. Each episode is packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. So, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, join us and get ready to take your data skills to the next level. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Master and Data Podcast. Our guest today is Catherine Lopez, who's currently the Chief Data and Analytics Officer for Merkle. Catherine is also the founder of not just one, but three startups. And she holds a PhD in computer science and her thesis on machine learning actually won an award at Monash University back in 2005. In her professional career, Catherine has also held senior data-related roles for ME Bank, AGL Energy, ANZ Bank, and PwC, just to mention a few. Catherine has also been recognized as one of the global top 100 data visionaries, one of the top 25 analytics leaders of Australia, and was also a finalist for Women in AI Award for Australia and New Zealand. Now, with such an impressive resume, I'm personally very excited, Catherine, to have a chat with you and see what insights and things I can learn for myself. And I'm sure the listeners can learn a lot from you as well. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you, Andrew. And nice to be here. So I would like to take you all the way back to the start of your career, your background, your academic journey. Why did you decide or when did you decide to have a career in data analytics? Was it a a path that you planned out? How did you get into it? And could you just talk us through your, your thought process around that? Thank you for asking. And this is a really, really interesting question. Recently, many people asked me. And I think about it, I have been in this field for more than 25 years. Now, if I think, oh, how did I get into this field? Absolutely not by design. <laughs> and But it's also by design, in a way, I try to escape from my parents' you know, suggestions where I should go. Okay, and where were they suggesting that you should Also, uh, my parents, which basically one wanted me to take a medical, you know, okay. take the medicine direction. The other one wanted me to be a very classic accountant. Okay. Yeah. So, and so, so back at this stage, data wasn't that no, sexy role that it is now no. that everybody wants to go to university and do. Oh, that's in 1990s, right? Mm. In 1990s. And so as a teenager, you want to find your own way of, I really wanted to go actually was not data either. And I was a architect in engineering space. Okay. And so that was where I want to stay in science focused, but I also want to use the creativity and art part of mm. my, some of my passion. Were you always good at art then when in school growing up and that was like you had that artistic flair? I always had a combine. So okay. I, I drew very well among the science students. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I do science very <laughs> much better than yeah, our students. Yeah. yeah, so it's really hard. But my mom told me, you definitely, she is a civil engineer. Mm. She was. And so she told me, you know, you definitely should not come to this field. And as a female, you not come to the engineer field. Mm. And so that was a very interesting decision. Uh, made very, very quickly. At that time, there was a new kind of discipline opened, and it is a combination of mass management, even some flavor of accounting, and the, also the business, and the, plus the computer science. And so there is, they define it as information systems mm-hmm. or management science. You can take different directions, and the main course are still in computer science and mathematics and the management science. So that's where it's time, actually, I got into this field of we are doing literally so many things, all directions, and then that's how I entered in the field of data analytics. Mm. And, and since then on, I'm 
stayed on forever. <laughs> you can't get out of it, right? No, no, I can't. Once you're in, you're in. It's like the mafia. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And I, it's just, um, you say this by design, probably not, mm. but, and I loved it from day one. So that course you went on, is obviously less creative than potentially your natural flair had. So it was much more mass focused. I guess, you know, at that stage, very quite technical as well. You know, going into that, was it everything that you thought it was going to be? Or did you have some challenges going through that kind of academic path, do you think? Oh, yeah, I believe that's the part. You are absolutely correct. There was very, very disciplined, disciplined and engineered and mathematics and the creative side, which didn't really, you know, was not part of the design, however. Mm. And I think that's challenged me to think how to ask questions and how to actually do things differently and instead of just follow the rules and follow the pathway. Yeah. And there was the good thing is that was so new at that time and there was no certain pathway. So to grow into, so you actually, you can actually explore which direction you want to go. Yeah. But I guess that ambiguity around, because yeah. like everybody, kind of can see it now because it's yeah. a well-trodden path but yes. as a as a trailblazer <laughs> let's call it that like it does give you that opportunity but you've still got to kind of decide you know what paths to take and i think it ended up then working for the university's lecturer right initially when you came out so was that kind of again just one of those things organically that came up as part of your career journey and you kind of went into that area and yes i know again so i grew up from a family which is a combination from my dad's side is mainly in business mm. and then my mom's side is all academic background okay so that is a cause like there i was influenced by so many of the family members and try to teach people and I found teaching is kind of easy job for me. Oh, well, that's, that's yeah. good. Because I think a lot of people would say that's quite challenging. Like the majority of people would find it quite hard to teach other people how to for a particular skill or trait or whatever. But you found it quite easy. I think that was, I started learning <clears throat> Pokemon money by teaching people. And uh, <laughs> right. I think this runs in the uh, family. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So that's, again, I think teaching is very rewarding for me. And being academic, you stay on top of all this new research and you have the freedom in the meantime, you can also pass knowledge to other people. Mm. But there was not sufficient enough for me. I think that's just, you know, always you can say from my career. Yeah. And I have been jumping from industry to academic and academic to industry quite often until, you know, recently settled. Yeah. And it's quite, it's quite unique, right? So when I look at your career experience, and like you say, you know, you've, you've always had that, I guess, craving variety, craving challenging yourself as well. And so you haven't kind of, you know, I've, I look at this and kind of my interpretation is when you felt you're not being challenged or grown anymore, you've decided to make a move into something, not necessarily like a linear trajectory of a career, but like a completely different one. And it moves back to academia. And again, is that, do you think that's a trait that's followed you through your career that you're always looking to be challenged and that looking for that variety? I think that's true. And uh, however, I do have an anchor point which is the data analytics, this field, I have never changed. Yes. Yeah. So there, the variety you're talking about, I will say there, there are a big difference between academia to industry. And um, they also, there are quite different fields within the data analytics. So I think this data analytics, this space and including AI is such a great field for mm -hmm. me to fulfill my desire of learning new things yeah. and on top of them and I can on top of all of them and I can still 
constantly learn and use it and also teach. So now I don't really teach in the university. However, any organization I work with, you know, like before I sit down with you this mm. morning and we have, we designed another program to run an academy. So which is we can actually educate people and you can build the pipeline of the skill set. And that's within Merkel that you're yes, talking about Yes, that's now? what I'm promoting and designing the program. This is the first third time. Oh, in wow. Different, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I guess one of my questions was going to be around, because you've had that unique experience of working at academia as a lecturer and then going into industry, if you like, and yeah. you know, working on the other side of the fence in a very commercial world, those two worlds are quite different. Yeah. But you mentioned how you've used some of those transferable skills to kind of bring that, you know, that academia kind of experience you've had into that commercial world and then kind of use it for good and to add value. What would you say are the top three skills are that you've been able to take from the world of academia, your experience in lecturing, that's really been able to help you then in, in, in the world of industry? Oh, that's a so great question. I call myself sometimes a recovering academic. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you, once you've been there, Actually, there's not much difference if you think at the fundamental core of the skills. Say, we talk to clients every day, and even while I was working inside the corporate, and then so you actually engage with different stakeholders internally. So now we engage with different clients, mm. right? So we just don't write our lecture notes, and we are writing our, you know, the, the stories, and then we will help the clients and to understand the concept and what they want to go for the next step. So that's kind of, it's not a straightforward teaching, but it's education piece. Yeah. And so that's education piece with your stakeholders and also with your internal team. So this is not much different. And so the other thing, which is if you can think about it, is you quite often in academic, you ask for big funding, fund your program fund your research. Yeah. And so industry incorporated the same thing. You write business cases, business case, right? Yeah. You write your business cases, you have to put the ROI, you have to get the justification and all this plan. And so this is really, I think there is fundamentally, they are very, very similar. Mm. And the other thing which I think is very unique to the data analytics and the AI space where I play is in academic, we always look at the cutting edge research outcome. And so the same thing in, if you think about the industry, like I'm not working very traditional classic, you know, industry where you have the regulation, you have a practice and so they will not get changed over years. In this field, you get everything changed in just by a month, yeah. you know, yeah. so then you always have to look at on top of all the tools and the different features and also applications. So this is, I think, if you ask me the three, they're the, I will not rank these three mm -hmm. in different, you know, in particular sequence or order, yeah. but they are the absolute the three things. Yeah. And I think that first one that you pulled out there, that bit around um, education or taking them on that journey, right? Mm -hmm. So although you're not, you know, in your words, using your lecture notes and kind of going through that, but when you're working with C-level people who may not have the experience in data, they're coming out from a more commercial background, to be able to kind of educate them and help them understand the benefits through a narrative as well, which is, again, quite a unique and difficult skill to perfect. But that's kind of storytelling aspect, which almost always leads to a business case. <laughs> Second point, ultimately anyway, super important and must it must really give you a big advantage, I think, when you're in the boardrooms or, you know, talking to those kind of audiences selling those things right and so i think that 
position in academia has probably give you that advantage massively. I mean, is that something that, again, that you've seen as a trait through all of your kind of different roles, you know, at ANZ Bank and so on, going through all of your career? Has that been something that's always been there as well? I believe so. Yeah, I think, you know, say I like to use analogy to explain the difficult concept, especially the new concept mm. to people. And then it doesn't matter if they switch or, you know, even five years old. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so yeah. sometimes you just have to say, well, people have different background. They have different knowledge. If you can actually relate something to them, of course, you have to use different analogies. And I work with a lot of board members as well. And so there is when you explain to them what is the data governance look like, what is the concept of this AI can be used, yeah. or maybe what is the sequence and how do we actually look at the different aspect difference between the technology versus data. So I think that is you really have to think and I think that's what I learned through years of you know, grow up in the academic background family and also communicate with people and students to bring them on the journey same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just going back to that variation, right, in terms of your career history, you've moved around a lot, lots of different environments, lots of different cultures and ways of working. I look at that and I think there must be some big challenges to get to where you got today, right? What would you say has been the most challenging or pivotal point of your career during your kind of professional career experience? kind of what did you learn from that is there kind of any pivotal moments that you would say where you've kind of i don't know learned that something isn't for you a particular role or really had a bad experience and that's kind of pushed you on a different trajectory oh i think this is something where i decided to take from the back seat to the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so putting your head above the parapet and you know you're visible then suddenly yes so i agree it's I think there was a bigger challenge for me for a while is being heard. And so being heard is not necessarily being loud or actually your opinion being taken. And quite often there I found there is, I'm happy to help other people to understand and I do other people's job too. <laughs> and uh, so one thing what the experience taught me, that's how I decided to move to the next level into the management or into taking you know more initiative to support the community and then take on the initiative to help women or move to the up management level mm -hmm. that is i want more impact and i want say if what i can do and i'm not doing this for myself so i was always being quiet and so being very technical and a quality of work is my metal mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. but now and then say i will talk on behalf of more people and especially women. So that is in every organization where I do and I say, I want what I can bring to this organization is if we do data analytics and AI, we do it, we deliver it with quality. And we respect different opinions and then get everybody's background incorporated into our decision making and the solution providing. But in the meantime, and being a one female, the, I have been in so many, many conferences, or meetings, or meeting rooms, being the only one. Male dominated. Yes. Yeah. Especially being so early on, getting into that kind of IT tech data space. Yes. It must have been hugely challenging, and you must have been in a minority of, of women, for sure. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I was thank my dad. I grew up from the Chinese background, and uh, my dad actually named with my name. It's a male name. 
And he expected, I know if my dad is listening to this podcast, and he expected me to be a, a boy, <laughs> right? And being so classic. Yeah. And so that is early on in primary school, I will be called out. And um, so they say, can you put a bracket? You are female. And uh, instead of I, boy, because I'm using yeah, the boy's yeah. name, and I end up in the classroom in the full of boys. And I think I got used to it. And basically, you can say, look, you are here for them based on your marriage, not because of either the gender, but you, I do see a lot of challenges. Yeah. So that's what I want, not my voice to be heard. Actually, I want my voice to be heard on behalf of so many. And that's interesting, right? So that seems like you've got to a point in your career where you've kind of operated, let's say, as an individual, not necessarily as a leader, right? You've been doing your technical work. Then you've realized something's happened, right, where you've realized you've looked around you and you go, well, who's standing up? for the people around me, your peers, for example, as a minority group, right? But then you still had the courage and made that decision. Whereas at the time, that's not going to be an easy thing to do, right? To move from, you know, you, you're in the corner, you're talking to a computer every day, essentially, but then to make a conscious decision to stand up, not just for yourself, but for your peers as well, I think adds that extra motivation. But is that kind of along the right line sense? So you were kind of observing the people and peers around you, and you thought, well, if, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to stand up and kind of make that move into kind of senior management to, to give everyone a voice. Actually, I think, yes, it's not about looking at nobody else is doing. And I think I identified quite a few female with as my role model. And I see the opportunity, actually, the career path. There is the one of the VP and she is retired. And then she was the vice president in the R&D, you know, so at the SAS. So then she did her, you know, she grew as a, from academic background and had a PhD. Then she led large organizations and also still being a mother and still being a true leader and in the industry. Yeah. So then I actually, I think that is one thing I would think about it of identify your role model. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really looked around that much and to think carefully. And also there when, you know, quite often you are in the top of the, you're always ahead of everyone. There was really, for me, it was hard to find anyone actually I can repeat their career. Yeah, to learn from. To learn from. Path. Yeah, so my patient advisor, she is a female distinguished researcher and she, you know, now is also in the WG or the head mm -hmm. at the Uni. So I follow her path and her, she, you know, also she has a passion in industry base, but still there is a one path, right? So there you actually, when you look at this, there are opportunities across different places where I identified and I say, I want to give a go. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to that mentor that you mentioned, that junior time at SAS, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So was that somebody that you kind of noticed just as part of your day-to-day -day work and you were like, oh, I can see some really good traits and some character traits in that woman that I want to kind of be like and follow. So was it more kind of observation and then you were copying that or was it more like a, f a mentorship in terms of you were able to talk to her, get advice, get guidance from her? How did that kind of relationship work? And what value do you think that mentorship offers generally to, especially women in the workplace? I think a combination. So the first step is she is visible. And um, so she is visible to everyone. It doesn't matter if it's a female or male. And so like my husband admires her a lot as well. Mm. And so we are in very, we work in a very similar area. And so that is a part. And the second part is she is very approachable. So we will be sitting in the, it's not official mentorship. 
and but she will be sitting in the cafeteria with us, and you could be, you know, just say, hey, want to sit together, and also opportunities, and so that is a lot of the reason is similarity. I would say, her husband and herself, and actually was in parallel, you know, at the similar time in similar field. It's really really hard for two, you know, PhDs in your family working the same field, yeah. and then to progress your career together. That's yeah. where's uh, like I would say the big impact in my family. And for me and my husband to progress together and look at this couple, and it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. What's the secret to both progressing then <laughs> at the same time? So there must be some compromises you have to make along the way. But what would you say has been advantageous to you that you've learned from others to be able to both progress? Because I guess there could be people out there listening. Maybe it's not both two PhD <laughs> husband and wives in the same field, but both people who are career driven have have a family at home, different responsibilities outside of work and in work. What would you say? The, the benefits are or what you should focus on to kind of have that balance? I think it is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I asked you the question. <laughs> like. I think it's really hard. You really have to, there are time you have to work as a team. You have to work as a team and, and to find one university, for example, to accommodate two mm. in one, you know, both of you want to go to tier one and it will be really hard. And so I think that is a compromise with each other and you know, find the way of how do we actually can, the environment can allow both of us, but not necessarily to progress, right? And then so, but not necessarily at the same pace. And so you have to find pathways. And so like when I was doing consulting, my husband was in-house doing R&D, yeah. for example. Uh, yeah. And when I moved to corporate and he went back to his consulting, so you you need to keep one person in the house, yeah, yeah. right? If both are present, constant so travel. Different phases. As yeah, long as not at the same time, then yeah, not that, at the same good. time. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so going back to mentoring, and I know it's something that you're very passionate about because you give back now individually, but as well as through one of your startups, Ada's Tribe. And I'm really keen to understand like how that came about, what the origins were, and then fast forward to today and how it's given back to the community and supporting women trying to get into data analytics today. I think this is to come back to my value and what I care about a lot is about helping people and educate people. And so I no longer work in, a, you know, in the environment where you can mm. have a PhD student or you can coaching other people. And so I start mentoring people on an individual basis and so give back. So when I came back in 2016 to Australia, and at that time, that was a transition where I want to come out as a female leader and in the data science and then the, to get the voice and to help people to break their fear into this field. And so I remember there was a big data science meetup, the largest data science meetup held in Melbourne. And um, so I joined the first, which is female oriented events that's one meetup and then people asked me about what uh, are you hiring into, you know, the data scientists and mm. also you're building a team, what's the percentage of your, the female versus male? I say 100% female and because I'm the only one, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that's what's not easy. So after that, every year I would do one to help the within the data science community and then to get more female into, you know, into this field. And is that is that because you still saw challenges like in 2016? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm hoping the answer that this is a positive one, but you must have seen some progress from when you started your career to 2016, getting women into the industry, making that path easier. But I guess 
by no means is it perfect, far from perfect. So did you still see in your kind of day-to-day kind of roles, big hurdles and barriers around that time that also kind of acted as a catalyst for you to start Ada's Tribe? Yes. So the other tribe didn't form until 2022. Okay. So, Sorry. So no, no, no. Sorry. My apology. So there is, a, I'm getting blurred with the pandemic years. So before <laughs> yeah, I pandemic. I think everybody gets blurred with the pandemic years. <laughs> yeah. So the 2019. 2019. 2019. So after this three or four years, and I saw the change, right? So I saw the change of there, we got more women actually started to mainly in Melbourne at that time, mm-hmm. but we did host some of the events and invited people come from Sydney and even from Singapore. So we saw people asking for more, so especially female. And so they, they started breaking the fear. And what at that time in the, so two of my co-founders, one was like kind of mom and tea. And so she's changing career and want to get into the field. The other one is very big on the community development. Mm-hmm. So that is a combination of the three of us. And so two of them, they actually said, well, Catherine, if you're going to, you know, call this, call the shop and then so we'll go together with you. Let's make it a much bigger impact and let's stay focused. And then instead of because I'm only doing one event per year. And so now we are going to say, how can we create a platform where is enable more female to speak mm-hmm. and also learn through different female career path? And also how can we give the opportunity to mentor not only me and not only a couple of my friends who are also the pioneers and now they became the mentor for the artist mm. tribe, yeah. right? So many of them, they do have experience. They have, you know, gone through the journey. They want to give back. And so that is the group. So I started organizing events and also we launched the other tribe. And then the most successful event actually is the mentor group. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're laying that pathway that didn't exist when you started because yeah. you had to kind of find that path yourself. Yeah. So providing that kind of well-trodden path now that people know and, and can kind of adopt for themselves. You're also providing then a, like a meetup, I guess. Is that yes. that's an annual one, is it? Months. So every month. Yes. In Melbourne at the moment. So no, in Sydney, Melbourne, okay. and then most online during the COVID. Yeah. And also we are launching another one for the you know the International Women's Day. Oh great. Yeah, and so we as a combination of you not learning is only by knowing how to program in Python. Okay. And there's a technical skills and you learn from different ways. And we do encourage people to see how that skill can be translated in the real project, mm-hmm. in the real company. And so we want to give people that perspective. And so that's how we ran the event. And so like a webinar. But in the meantime, we want to have more actually the cohort of not only the mentors to know each other, the mentees to know each other. Yeah. And so that's, we create this community. Then we do also open to other, because data science, or we call actually data analytics and AI yeah. is a combination. You do need to have this business understanding and also you need the to have the technical, technical. skills yeah. and fundamentally you have to know how to use data. So that's where we actually have a lot of people from different backgrounds. And so we just even introduce each other. So the one thing which is bonded very well is a, they are all female where we do have male champagne to help us as okay. well. Yeah. So because that is not closed door. Absolutely. Yeah. 
without so we are not uh, you know saying that oh this is only female no this is not only female for female to actually to to do this and to be successful this need a bigger community for male and female yeah. together it's all inclusive yes inclusive and if there's people out there listening to this yeah. that want to get involved in terms of the monthly meetups whether it be melbourne or sydney yeah. or if they want to take advantage of some of the mentorship yeah. aspects of it yeah. where do they go and what do they do Okay, so that we have a website, and then so that also we have an online forum. is not a Facebook group, but it is. So we can you can join on the mailing list, and also you can join that platform, which basically that you post come you know topics and follow us on LinkedIn, and you can meet us either online or you know through the in person event. Okay, yeah. So the best thing to do look up Ada's tribe A D A. S tribe, yeah. yeah. And if you Google that, or if you look that up on LinkedIn, yes. you'll be able to kind of connect with that and find out when the next yes. events are as well. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we do have a decent size of community in both Sydney and Melbourne. Mm -hmm. So like today I'm in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Every time we are here and I try to connect with a lot of our members and a very very inclusive engine. So we also have volunteers from actually from around the world to work with us. Yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really good. How does that translate into your day-to-day -day role at Merkel when you think about talent acquisition and bringing women in? Do you have much influence in terms of how that's structured? And have you got any unique kind of channels that you use to attract women who are interested in getting into data science and AI that potentially other listeners or companies could use and adopt? Actually, I haven't. Really, so I started the job at Merco seven months ago, mm -hmm. and so at Merco we do have a recruitment team, yeah, and also we do have the HR team and working on the Densu level. So Merco, we are one of the service lines. So, however, I think what the influence I have brought it is say all the new hires we haven't really advertised to be honest, and there is. A lot of things people like to do is say they like to follow the leaders just the same me and important do you want to work with this group of people who has open-minded or share the same of mindset but we want diversity as well so i think that is more like a role model or you know you heard about somebody do you want to know more and so mm. that's the part i have really seen you know they say others draft yeah. convert to the pipeline. Yeah. Wow. And just looking forward and, and looking ahead, looking at how Ada's tribe and the value that's given back to that community, what would it look like in the future in the next sort of five to ten years for you in terms of not just Ada's tribe, but getting women into data roles? If it was up to you, Catherine, what would that look like in terms of being able to allow people in, allow women into the data space easier? and make that move and remove some of the barriers and hurdles? I would say, you know, others tribe where is organization, the way it's volunteer based. And now we want to do is we work with partners. We work with other, you know, the either that's people in different organizations. And what's the value or what we want to do is it will create this, you know, the a mentorship and the mentoring people and also the connections, but we are not really in the recruitment process mm -hmm. but we'd like to get actually open people's eyes of especially the female i think that is what i can see is a lot of things not transactional for us is very long-term look at this is as holistically as a whole and it because for them to come to data analytics space they could be doing technology they can come right you get them first job but they will not stay yeah 
and you keep on nurturing them. So like you say, look, a lot of events, we finish the event, we just say people who want to stay and all we mentor people. And a lot of topics we're talking about the challenges of how to get your husband to cook. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. and, and so things like this, because we really related to the, the challenges. Yes, we do have common challenges. We do share, celebrate, you know, the wins. And but in the meantime, this is a, you cannot really have a career. It's by getting one job. Yeah. Absolutely. And just switching gears a little bit, talking a bit more about AI and data within industry and the future of that. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, things coming out like chat GPT. Have you had a go with that yet? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How do you what what is your view on that just generally? And then where do you think that could take like the commercial aspects of AI and data science in the future? I think so for people who understand the data science. And the people who are in the software engineer for a period of time and spend time on the AI, and they will appreciate that. Mm. And so for things where previously you used to Google, you know, and uh, you Google the code. And just so now, actually, you can leverage this tool yeah. and you get a code and you get, you know, the actually the answers all the very quickly. However, that is need experience. Actually, that is, I think that's more critical thinking and also more experience. And how do you sharp your knife and know how to validate the output? Yeah, because you don't know what, what you're getting Correct. back is any good or not. Without any experience, it's, yes. it's difficult to make that judgment, right? Yes. So that is the part where if you completely blindly rely on that, it's not an educational tool. Mm. And as yes, you can facilitate that. And now, however, you cannot really completely blindly rely on that. And so that's it, I think, is I have seen our team, actually, we use ChatGPT and the other two different tools. And we made our, you know, at Merkle Meta, we made a video to introduce our team. And so we had the speech, you know, the text written, oh, yeah. and we threw in the different topics. Yeah. And But you have to modify it. Sure. Yeah, you have to modify it, right? And you have to modify it. And so then you combine. But the at the end of we were able to produce a decent video. Mm. And then in the future, we can use that video and actually take it to our clients or internal use. We're doing a pilot. And instead of three months production or two months, and we did in two days. Yeah. Yeah. And the cost is much, much lower. Yeah. Yeah. We got some subscription. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then just generally AI and data analytics within Merkle and the challenges that you have today, and I don't think they're going to be too dissimilar from other organizations mm-hmm. the same size, or the challenges that you see in industry when mm-hmm. you're talking to clients as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think the biggest challenges are right now? And you know how will they potentially be optimized or improved over the next sort of three to five years, do you think? Well, I think this is a really, really hard question to answer. And then because this is way just came out or we're, you know, still the pandemic is still lingering around. Mm. And now we are entering the stage where the geopolitical environment is very, very dynamic. So for us, I would say to leverage the AI engine will be a space for us to really, really carefully watch and try to thread the word very, very carefully. And they is with the regulation, we need to play actually from every part of the society, from the government of regulation, and from how we're going to break the rules of and the privacy. And also how can we actually leverage the AI power engine again, commercial, right? So that's a lot of companies are now very budget tight and a lot of new advanced technologies are, you know, they will 
be developed and uh, utilized when the growing period and uh, not during that. Um, well, I don't want to call it a recession, but uh, still there is different organizations that look at the situation differently. Mm-hmm. I think this will be a very, very challenging time for us mm-hmm. and overall, but I do have faith. You know, the AI can be leveraged. AI technology should be progressed yeah. and it can be leveraged and uh, depends on their journey. So we actually tried a couple of times tell the client and say, you're not ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do they listen now when you say I that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a, again, it's education piece and we share what we learned and we can even say, well, you know, you prove it by, you can try a couple of things, but you should time box it. And so does it really work for your organization? And do you have the foundation and also the holistic or, you know, coordination in place, mm. orchestration, we call orchestration. That's yeah. why the place where my team and uh, actually we look at holistically is, do you have the platform and how to productionize your thing? And also are these linked with your business priority? Does this match onto your one year business plan or three years yeah. of your priority or five years vision? You need to know why you're doing it, right? Correct. And then once you've done that, you need to know how you put that thing in production. Oh yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. And, and there was the two points that you mentioned, right? And I see that, and I'm sure you see that all the time. Yeah. You know, analysis done for analysis sake. And then if it's good analysis, then, oh, now we've got to kind of make it work every day for real <laughs> in a business environment, right? Two massive challenges that haven't improved significantly, I would say, certainly due in the the last 10 years, for example, you know, I would like to see a, a bigger improvement on that. Coming up against time very soon, what I'm interested in is to ask you what's next for Catherine Lopez. Your experience and career history has been really varied, great experience in different high visibility roles in data analytics. Like, where do you go from here, <laughs> right? You've kind of done, you've done a lot of stuff. So you've done, you know, you the startups, you've done consultancy, you've worked in academia, you've worked in industries you're doing today. Where do you go from here? This is a really, really interesting. Actually, one of my friends and um, a couple of them, you know, they are career coaches. You know, they have really coached me the way you talk, right? And they ask me this question. And sometimes I will think about it this as for me, I don't like to tick boxes, but I do tick boxes, right? <laughs> and, uh, so I don't like to call because that's when you tick boxes, you feel, oh, I have done this. And instead of so that I'm my curiosity. So in my curiosity and also my value. So what exactly make me and motivated to do the thing which is I put my time and effort that is aligned with my value. So I serve on the EPA governing board mm-hmm. and that is really that's aligned with my value of I want, I care about climate change and I do care about the society and the health. So that is from Victoria EPA board, you know, which is I put my time into it. And so the, you know, the policy and also can be translated into the community, which is for the society. That's very well aligned. And one thing I want to learn from one of my mentors and see you have to think about it is not how much time, it's how much energy you want to put into the thing, what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so for me, which is I want to continue my journey in data analytics and AI. That's where I can actually leverage what I have learned and then put it into a bigger piece and into the, you know, into the larger organization and scaled it up. Great. So that is the thing where I think where I want to go. And I want to bring again, this is the third part, which is a continue align with my value, where is my story and other female story 
And also, this is really, really super hard for us. There already is hard for women to get into tech, but again, within tech, data and AI space is even harder. And so, if we stay there, we can get more young girls. As I told you, there is other young girls, and them though doesn't matter gender, to be honest, and them they can see actually. You still in this field after so many years,、mm, yeah. and then they say, "Well, it's not for us just a transactional to earn some money. Instead, you can make a career of that." That's great. And listen, this conversation has been really good,、uh, really inspiring in terms of just hearing how you were, you know, almost kind of trailblazing your own path initially, getting into the career of data analytics into that industry, moving through those barriers and those prejudices, and then to today becoming a. Not only an experienced leader in the data analytics industry, but one that's values-led, one that's then creating companies to give back to other people. Again, a trait and character that's came through all through your career. So certainly, I took away a lot of really good insights from this chat today. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there will will also take away a lot of good things and have some kind of、um, things to follow up on in terms of Ava's drive and stuff and getting involved in in the community aspects that you're doing there. So I'd just like to thank you for your time. I know you've got a hectic schedule, but it was really valuable and really great to talk to you, Catherine. Oh, thank you, Adam, and I really appreciate the time. Actually, you asked me questions, and they give me a time to think about it. Actually, to answer your question is refine my thinking and to realize what I'm doing. And thank you for the opportunity. No problem at all. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mastering Data. Hit follow to get future episodes packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review to help others find the podcast.